This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Good morning, good morning, Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave, as always, in the piney woods of North Central Florida. Uh, looks like Julia Surhouse Gates is the first one to class today. Hello, hello, good morning. Uh, we are in the piney woods, as I say, and we are in the Melbourne Law Studio, the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Gators, protected 24-7, 365 by none other than crime prevention, our good friends Randy Elrad and John Pastore, local protection, use them, and patronize all of our good supporters uh, who advertise with us. Uh, you know, they need um, to uh, be acknowledged for helping us uh, provide a forum for you, hopefully, that is educational, entertaining, and something that um, you can use practically in your life. Our, our construction, longtime friend, Lance Lunger, a uh, good guy. Morning, Larry Nagel. Larry Nagel is an anniversary superstar. He tunes in probably more than uh, just about, he's an elite group uh, of people watching. So uh, we always appreciate that. Style cuts. Go down there and visit my good buddy, David Ratliff. He will set your ears out, as my father used to say when he wanted me to go get a haircut. Either go get pleased up or get your ears set out. And uh, I meant always a short haircut. Nothing long, nothing long. Uh, I had to be policed up and ready for the mugshots, I guess. Because my father always said, if the cops take you to jail, I'm going to leave you there. So that was the way it was in those days. And um, it's changed, I guess. All state insurance just signed on with us. Judy Lucasio, great supporter of our show. So, and I'll run out of uh, things to say here, and we'll cover that more at the bottom of the hour. Uh, probably around 9.30, I'm going to break a little bit early for the weather. We're going to have our instigator, investigator, Mark Glazer, on the phone. Hello, Rick Reichhart, superstar in the big leagues once upon a time. Um, and it's still a superstar. But anyway, uh, we're going to have our buddy, uh, instigator, investigator, Mark Glazer, on. And uh, he's going to give you an update on some really exciting things uh, that are happening in the world of justice and the uh, conservative world pushing back on the liberal left. That's basically the theme today, which I'm going to expand a little bit on. Doug Whitaker watches us faithfully from Mexico, Mexico, so where he's uh, wisely retired, I guess. Um, there we go. So, um, yeah, Mark was spent all day in court the last couple of days watching this happen, and he's going to report on it, phone in, of course, we only let... Uh, let you hear his voice, and um, we usually generally show a profile of Sherlock Holmes somewhere along the line. But um, that's really what we got lined up for you today. So the theme is really uh, the way the conservative world is beginning to push back uh, all the way from the governor to uh, governors to to um, um, corporations. And I thought I'd start with a follow-up. This Warner Todd Houston wrote about this uh, and covered it. <clears throat> I'm kind of intrigued by Bud Light. I don't drink Bud Light, um, you know, but I, I, I know a lot of people did anyway. And this is the latest update on Bud Light, in case you're wondering from it about it. Um, it's support of transgenderism, which is, is a super lefty cause, as you know. Um, it has been 
right in there, the LGBT, DWXYZ has been right in there with Black Lives Matter and uh, systemic uh, racism and uh, whatever, you, you name it. Uh, it's all over there on the left, the lawless left, I call them. Well, it looks like the sales of Bud Light uh, are continuing to tank with uh, Lord Warner Todd Houston writes with a uh, no rebound in sight. Um, there's nothing even to uh, correlate with it right now. According to the New York Post, the sales of Bud Light have slipped again as the customers are abandoning the beer over its partnership with TikTok. Now, I saw, I think, the state of Montana ban TikTok. I don't know how you can do that, but I guess they can do it, or at least they can say they've done it. Um, anyway, um, they are uh, down on TikTok, not just Bud Light in Montana, Delhi. So anyway, uh, Warner Todd Houston writes that this has been a bloodbath for Bud, and uh, this not getting any better uh, during this month of May. The data, guys, and it's all about data for sales and branding and all that, uh, have been watching this ca- carefully. And they say that the nationwide retail sales of Bud Light have dropped 23.6% uh, versus a year ago, exactly this week, May, uh, in, in the early part of May. And it's um, slightly worse than the 23.3% decline for the week ending April 29th. So it's really going, you know, in the potty, if you will. It's a family show, so I won't use the S word. Um, so uh, Anheuser-Busch, of course, um, owns Bud Light. And, you know, they're the ones once upon a time that featured the Clydesdale horses and and uh, all that wholesome stuff. But, you know, they've kind of gone where they thought they needed to go. To uh, Like chameleons and the adoptive background they're on, they thought that would pay off for them. But um, Budweiser even, even Budweiser beer, uh, not the Bud Light, is down almost 10%. And it was down a, a, a week before 11%. Michelob Ultra is down 2.9%. Natural Light is down uh, even more. So it's Van Anheuser-Busch is taking a hit. And the um, the uh, hopefully the, the Anheuser-Busch people say uh, the hemorrhaging will end soon for Bud Light. Uh, they're hoping that the public gets it out of their system and this brand will stop falling and people will kind of forget it. There might be some truth to that. People don't have long memories generally. But we're in the world of beer, maybe they do because people tend to become aficionados of a brand or you know, some people like this brand, that brand, and they attach themselves to it, and that's what they do. So uh, um, typically the boycott business has been the companies suffer for a few weeks, and then they rebound. Well, probably they're beginning to wonder if this will happen in this case because um, it's down, down, down. And usually people, as I said, uh, don't pause their uh, beer-drinking habits. Uh, Pat's Blue Ribbon uh, – Miller High Life, they've been gaining. So they've been enjoying a uh, kind of a boost from this uh, downfall of this embracing, this embracing the transgender world. So I don't know. I don't drink any of that stuff. I am strictly a martini guy. So um, once upon a time, you know, when we came here at the University of Florida in the early 60s, it's funny. Um, it was a dry county. And it, it, it's stunning. Think about it now. Hold on. Keep, keep seated. It was a dry county, and all the, uh, the the beer halls, as all there were, closed at midnight. And 
the only thing they could serve was beer that had almost no alcoholic content in it. And we used to joke that the only way we knew we had a good time, had had a good time, that's past perfect, um, had had a good time the night before, was to wake up the following morning with a severe headache. And that meant we had drank enough of that watered down beer, pitcher beer, to have at least thrown up. And if we threw up, we must have had enough to get a buzz. And we got a buzz, we must have had a good time. There were no women to speak of in this community then. Uh, the ratio was seven males to every female at the University of Florida. And it was upside down at FSU, which had been the girls' school. It was seven females for every male. So I never, never went up to Tallahassee, stuck around here. And all we really had to do was drink that, uh, uh, well, we had a name for it, Comcat P. Uh, the word we used had P-I, uh, not the P-E. And uh, now that, that's, that's the way it worked. So, uh, uh, yeah, it was a dry county and, 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 uh, I don't remember there being many choices of beer. It just all came out of a tap and, you know, and everybody drank underage, of course. And the rumor was that the beer, the beverage agents were paid off. Wow. 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 I didn't care whether they were or not. We just needed to do something to get out of the dorms. And uh, the dorms weren't air conditioning, by the way. It's funny. But this issue, what I'm talking about right now, and by the way, we're going to have a, uh, our glazer on at the bottom of the hour, so stay tuned. He'll give us a very full report here on what's been going on. But I'm really, the theme today that Mark's kind of guided me to is the right, and also Ted Yoho and I talking yesterday. Welcome, Whitney Burnett. Good buddy there. Um, you know, the theme Ted and I talked about yesterday is, um, is there a way to organize some kind of network that will push back on the corrupt media and the corrupt uh, bureaucratic government institutions and uh, we talked about shows like this one, podcasting, and nobody's my boss, uh, I, you know, except you. You people are my boss who watch and listen. I try to make sure that I'm always straight up with you all, and you can trust what you hear here. Uh, you're about the only boss I've got, and I'm a one-man band. I arrange this show. Of course, you got a production team, support team from Weeby Marketing, great guys supporting us, uh, but in terms of selection of material and Comment about the material, unless I have a guest, it's usually yours truly. Uh, the Wall Street Journal has also picked up on uh, this idea of the right beginning to uh, push back. And I want to talk about this article. They've got uh, the attorney generals of 19 states sent a letter to J.P. Morgan Chase, the nation's largest bank, uh, accusing it of discrimination against conservative religious groups. And specifically, the letter accused Chase of canceling the group's accounts because the bank abhorred their politics. Now, Chase, of course, has denied this. Uh, but one of the accounts belonged to the National Committee for Religious Freedom. And uh, any uh, for, it's run by Sam Brown Back. And any politically half-awake person, the journal writes, knows Mr. Brownback was a U.S. senator from Kansas, the state's governor, and most recently the U.S. ambassador at large for international religious freedom. So this is no a light matter now. Um, the canary in the mine shaft is kind of this uh, Bud Light issue with transgenderism, but it's getting bigger than that, thank goodness, in Greyhound. It's beginning to turn now. Uh, uh, Ever-growing numbers of, of left-of-center commentators are beginning to know uh, that they're getting pushback. And corporations basically, you know, we've been talking about a civil war in the country, if you want to see where the Civil War is, the journal thinks anyway, 
I think this is a very good point. Uh, take a look at the war between the blue and the red states, okay? Those states which have Democrat governors and those states which have uh, Republican governors. And take a look particularly over one issue, and that's climate policy. And I think that's a pretty good point that they made in this article, and I want to pass it along to you. If you want to see the civil war going on right now in this country that is going on and it affects your pocketbook, take a look at the war between blue and red states over issues like climate climate policy. For example, New York and California will not let their pension funds invest in fossil fuel businesses. Huh? There you go. So Oklahoma and Texas are banning bond issuers who comply with such restrictions. Every GOP presidential candidate, and I had thought of this, I'll pass it along to you, is going to target politicized corporations. Well, you know, these news media outlets, they're corporations, and they are definitely politicized. We're not a news media outlet. I'm Ward Scott Files, LLC. And, of course, you know that we got dumped by YouTube because we dare violate their community standards which was basically just have a conversation about things that were on the minds of the people about voter integrity, which we're going to cover at the bottom of the hour with Mark Laser. <clears throat> Where did this begin? Uh, it's kind of interesting. So many things <clears throat> went downhill, if you will, or changed, or, you know, I'm going to let you pick the word, uh, with the George Floyd killing. Now, the Wall Street Journal calls it a killing. And I want to let you know that I talked to a, a longtime friend of mine who is a longtime career law enforcement agent. And he made the point that there are differences between killing and murder. And then there's differences in murder. A killing is not a murder. A murder is a planned, plotted, executed action. And then they break it down through negotiations and whatnot and tinker with what's planned and this and that one another. A killing didn't happen that way. And the case in which the point, example which this gentleman was using was the Danny Rawling murders. And this fellow had been at the scene of these murders, you know, they're investigating the bodies. And he made the distinction with me that in his career, he'd seen lots of killings. But they weren't murders. And this murder that Danny Rawlings scenes was the most atrocious murders he'd seen in his career. And that whoever had done it had an enormous amount of anger targeted towards those whom he killed. Turned out it were women who reminded him of his mother. And he couldn't stand his mother because his mother didn't intervene when his father beat him up. That's what came out in the probing psychological examination of Rawlings after he surprisingly said he did it. I remember all that very clearly. George Floyd's killing 
Now, it's been called a murder. We understand. You get the drift of this. Occurred in 2020. And with that, it ushered in an emphasis on Black Lives Matter policy agenda. And when that happened, the Wall Street Journal says something snapped inside America's institutions. This is their sentence I'm going to read to you. Any recognition of the long-established social utility of political neutrality. What a great phrase. Any recognition of the long-established social utility of political neutrality was abruptly abandoned. You couldn't be neutral after that for fear of being intimidated by the black agenda. Corporate America's leadership thought it had better support brands that were favored by the left about race, identity, climate, and they never expected anybody to push back. Now, the reason I bring this up again, because when you go out and start looking at what's going on with DeSantis, you're going to see a lot of smear jobs. And they're going to be attacking this. That he is voter suppressed. Oh, it's going to be all kinds of things. That he's by taking on the woke, he's deprived people of academic free, all this stuff. He could be taking, you're going to hear all this stuff. The point is he's pushing back. And all these other Republican governors are pushing back. The left, the Wall Street Journal writes, has been enjoying a self-congratulatory moralism using the woke wars as the issue. And the point of the examination of this by the journal is that people are tired of it. People are tired of it. Well, we're going to test that fatigue, are we not, when we come along here soon to this heating up issue with presidential race. Let me have a sip here. I don't know if you paid much attention as Rush Limbaugh did and I did. We couldn't stand Adam Schiff. Rush Limbaugh called him pencil neck. If I remember right. That guy lied and lied and lied. Only now is it coming out with this Durham report how big a liar and how much time and money that guy cost us along with fat Jerry Nadler on these hearings against Trump. It's taken two special counsels, several inspector general reports, and six years later, and I always said, listen, you're not going to know the truth about this election for 50 years. They're going to keep this covered as tight as they can keep it. But the Durham report does give a full picture of the FBI's complicity 
under Comey and McCabe, the FBI failed to uphold civil rights of our fellow uh, media guy here in the journal. I want to get his name right. Uh, it's an editorial by the journal. Comey and McCabe, the FBI failed to uphold their important mission of strict fidelity to the law. And here are the points that have come out. That pencil neck totally purported to be true. One, there was no basis for the investigation. There was no collusion between Trump and Russia. Bias? It was clear that there was partisan hostility all through this ordeal and that it was based on a hateful prejudice against Trump. Peter Strzok struck, Lisa Page, Kevin Klein-Smith, and Adam Smith and Fat Jerry jumping on it. It's clear there were double standards all over the place. People involved in the campaign, donating the, uh, in the investigation, donating to Hillary. Hillary was their choice. Can you believe it? There was willful ignorance or turning of the head where the FBI ignored evidence that was being used by Clinton as a dirty political trick. And we can go into the details of that. The culprit at the bottom of all this, I've always known, was that John Brennan. John Brennan. What a disgusting human being. All this Russia disinformation. This is the worst hoax perpetrated on mankind much worse than anything in my lifetime, which is getting rather extended and in its golden years, if there is such a thing, but aging, which I doubt. Uh, Spickle. Press Corps. Collusion. Cons. They went right along with it. They wouldn't even give back their Pulitzer Prizes now, Washington Post, for writing an untrue story. Imagine that. Incredible. Incredible. And the reason I bring it up is, thank goodness and Greyhound, Representative Anna Paulina Luna Florida, yesterday introduced a resolution. I don't know if it'll go anywhere. I haven't talked it over with Ted Yoho. I doubt it does. But a resolution to expel Adam Schiff from California from Congress for being a low-down, lying dog is my part. 
The resolution says resolved that pursuant to Article 1, Section 5, Clause 2 of the Constitution of the United States, Representative Adam Schiff B, and he hereby is expelled from the House of Representatives. God, I'd love to see that. When she introduced the resolution, she said that Schiff had lied to the American people. He had used his position on House Intel to push a lie that cost American taxpayers millions of dollars. And he is a dishonor to the House of Representatives. Boy, I tell you, that'd be great. If you believe in justice. She says that Adam Schiff knowingly used his position on House Intel to push a lie that ripped apart the country, cost taxpayers millions of dollars, and authorized spying on a U.S. president, and then proceeded to double down on the lie. Within days of the Durham report, he did. He stuck by his lie. And she points to the fact that earlier this year, Kevin McCarthy refused to allow Schiff to maintain his position on the House Intelligence Committee, saying that Schiff had lied too many times to the American public. Jordan Dixon Hamilton was a reporter on that. Man alive, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be absolutely great? I'm going to break a few minutes early here for our bottom of the hour weather, and we'll Tap in with uh, Mark Glazer. So stay tuned. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. There are a few tickets left for Gainesville's best pig roast and special whiskey debut. Sunday, May 21st from 2 to 5 p.m., Spurrier's Gridiron Grill is roasting a whole pig and sipping piggyback rye whiskey. Join us at Vicer's Rooftop for the release of Spurrier's Piggyback Rye's private labeled barrel select whiskey. We'll have specialty drinks, games, raffles, plus each ticket includes your own bottle of Spurrier's Piggyback Rye Whiskey to take home. Go to Spurriers.com to get your ticket to join 125 of your friends at the Rooftop Pig Roast before we sell out. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, 
and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Ward's Weather Report brought to you by Lewis Oil. Thank goodness and Greyhound for fossil fuel. Patronize Chevron stations and our good friend Wendell Lewis. Uh, listen, uh, we're looking for rain. It's all around us here at the uh, Warthog Manly Command Center yesterday. We're looking for some today. But you know where they're getting a lot of rain? And I know because I watched the Italian Open. They've been playing on clay in the rain. But that doggone Italy right now, whether you know it or not, is suffering the, uh, one of the worst deadly floods in the history of northern Italy. You know, there's nothing more frightening than rising water. Because you can't stop rising water. An earthquake stops, a fire stops, these other natural disasters, a hurricane passes. The rising water just keeps coming. And they always get more than they want when they get these floods. It's very, very meaningful, I think, that the uh, Bible talks about the flood because it's one of the most uh, frightening natural. Well, this is the most frightening natural thing that people know. Everything suffers from it when it starts rising and you can't stop it. Uh, meanwhile, we've got a... Uh, an advertising running uh, here for a couple of days. It's the Spurrier Barrel Select Launch Party Advisors Rooftop. If you round up 21 of your friends and family and join them on Sunday, May 21st at Advisors from 2 to 5 p.m., you'll be able to kick off the Whistle Pig Piggyback Ride Pig Roast and Barbecue. Uh, the tickets are 125 bucks, and you get a bottle of Piggyback Six-Year Barrel Select, two specialty drinks, uh, mouth-watering barbecue food. I mean, come on, what else is there? Exciting games, and probably Steve will be there himself. So there you go. That's a great place to be if you like barbecue. I know one person who does. Ed Braddy does anything for barbecue. He loves barbecue. Well, we're going to tap in now to my good buddy, our uh, great investigator, instigator uh, for the Ward Scott Files, who has become nationally famous. Now, today he is above the fold on the front page of the Gainesville Sun, you know, this has been a long time coming, and we broke all this initially on the Ward Scott Files, and nobody really thought much about it or paid much about it. But I can tell you that because of Mark and I, and we putting our shoulders to the rock, we managed to roll the rock uphill. I'll let Mark elaborate on that. Mark, are you here, my man? I'm here, Ward, loud and clear. Good, sir. Well, it's your show. Uh, <laughs> uh, talk about what you have, where you have been. And what you have done, what you have seen, I mean, it's amazing, my man. 
I think the irony today is the fact that it was a year ago yesterday, I believe, that we met with uh, Brian Kramer, uh, the local state attorney, in his office to discuss uh, the issues that we discovered, um, you know, in, in late uh, 2020. Actually, pardon me, it's two years ago um, to the day. Um, and it was in 2021 that we met with the state attorney. And so it took, you know, a year-long investigation. And then after that, it took a, a year-long of um uh, you know, uh, delays and obfuscation to get a, a case to trial. But certainly we uh, unearthed what we um, discovered at the time is some irregularities of, of vote by mail from the Elatra County Jail back in the 2020 election. Um, that has come um, uh, uh, full circle now. And so we're able to see a lot more detail. And, and yesterday, or excuse me, the day before, we had uh, a landmark case that was uh, decided before a jury. And by landmark, I mean the first of its kind to actually test the limits of Amendment 4 that uh, restores the voting rights of um, hundreds of thousands of felons throughout the state of Florida, uh, notwithstanding those that um, um, are still um, serving the terms of their sentence. And so that's where the devil got in the details, and that was what was fleshed out in court uh, in an all-day trial two days ago. So we were there for that trial, along with uh, reporters from New York, uh, the Gainesville Sun, um, and others. And it was uh, quite interesting. I, I will say, I believe it was fairly um, adjudicated. I believe the jury did their job. It did a very good job with the evidence that was presented. The judge was uh, nothing less than superb. There were excellent defense attorneys for the defendant, and the lone prosecutor did an outstanding case as well. So I believe the verdict was fair. I believe it was just based on the evidence that was presented. And I can tell you that um, it was it was almost surreal watching the. Uh, Supervisor of Elections testify in this case, along with her outreach director, uh, T.J. Pache, who was the first witness on the stand. Uh, I will say that T.J. Um, did visit the jail on three separate occasions, and it was his his duty and his goal to register, quote-unquote, eligible inmates at the jail. Uh, I will tell you that outside the jury's um, earshot, the judge was dismayed that the supervisor would even consider sending someone into the jail under the circumstances with so such a high propensity of voters who uh, were ineligible to vote, those that were, that were awaiting trial, uh, excuse me, transport to state prison, those who were serving current felony sentences, those who were felons who had not paid their fines, fees, and or restitution. And that's where Amendment 4 got fleshed out yesterday. So like I said, this was a landmark case, the first of its kind uh, in the state of Florida. It is now the 18th uh, voter fraud uh, conviction in the state of Florida from the 2020 election. And, of course, we've been solely responsible for 11 of those and quite possibly responsible for the other seven as well. There are 25 pending voter fraud cases currently, at least in the state of Florida and throughout counties, um, including Alachua County. We have three new cases in Alachua County that just got filed last month, and those are moving rapidly through the courts. And so we'll keep you abreast of those situations as well. But back to TJ on the witness stand, I can tell you that when he went to the jail in July of uh, 2020, COVID was uh, so rampant and so dangerous at the time that he wore multiple masks and goggles to go inside the jail. Really? Now, this is a supervisor of elections. This is a supervisor of elections office who got paid $700,000 in a grant from Mark Zuckerberg and his wife to, um, Make sure that they facilitate a safe election. So by safe, now they're sending some, one of their employees inside a COVID outbreak jail in July of 2020 
And the question then becomes, was he taking COVID into the jail or was he taking it out? But uh, TJ was a credible witness, I, I must say, on the stand. Uh, the question of him being charged with a crime uh, potentially was raised. And so it was a, got a little dicey there. He was also represented by an attorney in the courtroom. So uh, TJ had his own attorney. Uh, Kim had a, Kim Barton had an attorney. Uh, the defendant had two attorneys. Um, so there was there was lots of attorneys. And I can tell you that the witnesses were paraded in one at a time and had to wait outside so they could not hear the testimony of the other witnesses. So it was an all-day trial, which we hung in there for, and the verdict came back. It's what they call a split verdict. So on count one of falsely swearing, that's the registration, the registering to vote count, the defendant was found not guilty. I can tell you the evidence that's presented. There was a lot of question about whether he was uh, misled or given instruction that was contrary to state law. And so the jury was able to find some reasonable doubt that he willingly falsely swore on the voter registration card that he was not a convicted felon or that he was his voting rights had been restored. So that was count one. On count two, which is uh, willfully voting as an unqualified elector, actually voted in the general election uh, at the polls, cast his ballot, his ballot was counted, and he was found guilty on that count. He was sentenced to two years probation which uh, comes with about a $52 a month uh, supervision cost, uh, also uh, 50 hours of community service, and he also has to pay off all his court costs, fines, fees, um, which ironically uh, will keep him from voting until all that's paid off as well. Now, keep in mind the defendant owed thousands of dollars in fines and fees. He also owed thousands of dollars in restitution. And at the end of the day, that's what stuck with the jury on the second count. And that's why, in my estimation, he was found guilty on that count. Well, this was not a choir boy, was it? He was there and he had a pretty good record. Can you go over that a little bit? Certainly. Uh, Mr. Rivers had at least four felony convictions um, over the years. He also had a couple of misdemeanor convictions for petty theft. I can tell you that he owes uh, an individual in Marion County almost $3,000 of money that was paid to do some work down there that was never done. Um, of that $2,800, $2,900, um, $34.03 has been paid toward that restitution. So that didn't play well with the jury as well. Uh, in, in addition to TJ getting on the witness stand, a Sergeant Flynn from the jail testified and corroborated his story that when he presented uh, the opportunity for these inmates to register to vote, that he had a script where he would tell them that um, all their fines, fees, and restitution must be paid. And also, if they had any questions about their eligibility, that they should contact an attorney. He also had a flyer which had contact information with the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition, the clerk of court's office, and others. So if they had questions, they could reach out and get those questions answered. So at the end of the day, 10 inmates were charged. Uh, Ward, you were a big part of that in terms of bringing that forward through our state house rep and through the state attorney, through the local sheriff, and eventually FTLE and back to the state attorney. And I can tell you that now eight of those 10 inmates who have been charged with voter fraud from 2020 have been convicted. Seven have taken plea deals. This was the first jury trial. That's why it was a landmark case. So it's the first of its kind. It sets a precedent now for other cases around the state moving forward. In fact, the jury instructions from this case will likely be copy and pasted for juries moving forward in other cases around the state. So that's very important to know because this was the first of its kind to test the limits of fines, fees, and or restitution. The only other jury trial was for a sex offender, 
which has a much lower threshold. So that was a, that was a, a different case with different uh, characteristics. Um, the guard did corroborate TJ's story. Um, he was accompanied by the guard throughout the pods on multiple occasions. Um, and we know from the jail log that TJ went out there on three separate occasions. He went out there on February 5th, which is uh, 2020, which is the day that, that Mr. Rivers uh, registered the boat. He went out there on July 15th, and he also went out, out there on a date in September, right before the deadline to vote in the November 2020 general election. Uh, after the guard was on the witness stand, Kim took the stand, and she described how she basically um, directed her outreach director, her former position before she became supervisor, to go inside the county jail, never done before, never done since, during a COVID outbreak, yet they thought it was wise to do this. The question came up as if, if, if they ever had quotas. In other words, were you um, getting any kind of bonus based on the number of people you register? And the answer was no. But I will tell you that we know that Kim Barton's office got the $700,000 from Mark Zuckerberg uh, between the primary and the general election. And it, it raises the question of what, what were the, um, the obligations from the state attorney, uh, excuse me, the uh, supervisor of elections to um, secure that grant. And obviously, uh, Zuckerberg um, pumped $450 million into primarily uh, heavy Democrat areas to turn out the vote. That was obviously the purpose of that. Of course, he's never faced uh, any kind of um, criminal charges for that. As far as I'm concerned, it's it's electioneering and he, he should be charged with a crime. He's got deep pockets, but of course, our DOJ in their current uh, state of mind would never do anything like that. And so Kim took the witness stand. Um, she left. Then there was lunch. After lunch, the FDLE agent who did the interviews and the eight-month investigation, she got on the witness stand as well and um, told her story about the interview. Uh, they potentially lured him in, uh, the defendant that is, by stating that they were investigating the supervisor of elections office. So he let his guard down and then he gave her um, full information on the fact that he did register to vote and he did vote. So there was no question about whether he actually voted or not and whether he, he that was stipulated to. So there was no question about whether he registered to vote and voted. So that was that was off the table. The only question was whether he did so willingly and knowingly as an unqualified elector and actually falsely swore uh, an oath when he filled out that registration card. So that pretty much wrapped things up. They, um, they, they uh, tuned up the jury instructions. They had closing arguments and the, the jury deliberated uh, rather quickly and came back and found Mr. Rivers not guilty on count one and guilty on count two. So that pretty much wraps up uh, Tuesday's proceeding. Um, of course, we're not celebrating. We are, as always, we are doubling down. We're moving forward. We have um, two more inmates cases who are pending now, one of whom is set for a change of plea in June. The other who has a high-priced attorney out of um, Orlando. Every every indication is that, that that case, too, will go to jury trial. So we'll be there for that for you as well, Ward. But as always, this show um, comes out with the story first and foremost because you've been with me every step of the way. That includes the article in Breitbart in June of 2020. And we're looking forward to keeping your listeners uh, on the, the front edge of this, the tip of the spear, if you will, uh, moving forward. We will keep you informed on how this moves forward. Obviously, this opens the door for our uh, research, which says that we have identified over 10,000 fraudulent votes that were cast in the 2020 election in Florida. It's just a matter of if FDLE has the, the uh, time and the energy and the, and the will to um, investigate these and also um, press charges, which they've done in some cases. 
So we're we're excited, but we're um, we're going to act like we're going to act like Barry Sanders when he scores a touchdown. <laughs> we're going to act like we've been there before. We're going to we've been there before, and so we're we are pleased, but we're far from finished. And so this is going to segue right into the 2024 election, and we're going to highlight and expose the hypocrisy on both sides of this argument that there is election integrity uh, in the state of Florida. There is not. There was not in 2020. There is not now. Our voter rolls have been compromised. They were compromised by third-party registration organizations. And in our county, they were compromised by our very own supervisor of elections. So we have a rare case here in Alachua County where we can point to the supervisor's um, participating participation in these fraudulent votes that were cast here in our county. And so from there, we expand, we go throughout the state, and you could use that same blueprint and apply it to other states throughout the country. So we're hopeful that this will open the eyes and wake up some of the legacy media. Um, of course, now that we've made again for about the 10th time the front page of the Gainesville Sun above the fold, we're starting to expand upon our credibility. And of course, I, I can't thank you enough, Ward, for letting me have this this uh, this platform, this this venue and this format to get the word out so that the folks that are listening to your show and watching this podcast and listening at a later date can understand that we are working very hard and bringing the documentation and the evidence and letting it speak for itself, actually in a court of law, having a jury deliberate very attentively and then come back with a guilty verdict, which we knew all along was the case. Well, a couple of three things jump out. First of all, fantastic work, of course, as uh, always, Mark. But um, I think some ironies exist here, too. Obviously, politics were involved. Democrat supervisor elections. Uh, probably T.J. Pichet is a Democrat. Uh, you have to wonder what their motivation is in going into the jail. Is it to get, hopefully, more Democrat votes? Although that doesn't come up in the trial, of course. And, of course, the jury doesn't know that there's $700,000 worth of seed money, if you will, behind the effort to go in there and proliferate absentee ballots, which is essentially what these are. And no one's held accountable for that. And this is why, and Mark and my, we've discussed this quite a bit, audience, um, the uh, press is able to say, well, uh, the election was not compromised. Well, yes, it was, except it uh, wasn't illegal at the time. And the bigger issue now that I think the public needs to think about is, do you want private money in public elections? Um, that's that's really the the uh, uh, the gorilla in the room here, right? Is that what it said? Is that, that Mark? What do you think about that? Yeah, you, you're spot on. Um, the state of Florida has taken steps to um, completely um, shut down the uh, foreign interference, if you will. The the uh, third parties being able to literally fund supervisor of elections office um, by 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 certain counties. I mean, it's just preposterous to think that of the nine counties that took Zuckerberg money in the 2020 election in the state of Florida, seven of them were Democratic strongholds. Um, and I could probably rattle them off for you. So it's it's obvious what they were um, attempting to do, and that was to get a high turnout in the high propensity Democrat areas. I've run the numbers. There was over. One million more uh, registered Democrats in the counties that combined that got Zuckerberg money um, than Republicans. Now that that takes the NPAs out of the equation, so you can see what was going on here. Obviously, a lot of these fraudulent votes were cast for Donald Trump, but the question then becomes: at what you know ratio is it uh, two to one, three to one? And you know we we know instances where the Democrats um, you know 
in Fulton County, for example, were getting uh, Biden votes by, you know, 90 percent, that type of thing. So this happened all over the country. I'm talking about $450 million that was pumped in to the supervisor's office. Well, Florida has taken that bull by the horns. That That's not happening. It will not happen moving forward under penalty. But I will say it happened in 2020. So the combination of the pandemic and vote by mail being wide open and this third party, uh, these dollars coming in, it drove the vote. And of course, it was all hands on deck. As you recall, the 2020 elections was, was the biggest election in the in the history of mankind. It's only going to be outdone by the 2024 election. So um, it's it's going to uh, re-raise its head coming up. But in Florida's case, um, thanks to the governor, we have taken a lot of these um, uh, outside influence out of the equation. So we're very pleased about that. And you can you can tell by the the results of the 2022 election. Um, you had a governor who uh, won by almost 20 percent of the vote, and you had the Democrats who literally stayed home. And so uh, the message has been sent. Um, if you cast a vote in the state of Florida, you better be sure you're eligible. So in that regard, uh, it's mission accomplished. That being said, our voter rolls are still littered with ineligible voters who are casting votes. And so somewhere, somehow, someone's going to have to get that that database um ramped up and figure out how we purge these voters. Now, some of them will purge by attrition. In other words, if they don't vote for a full cycle, they will automatically fall off the voter roll. So that's going to be the, the lion's share of the ineligible voters that um, go away. But there are still hundreds and thousands that have voted as recently as in the 2022 election who were not eligible to vote based on our research and unfortunately, the mainstream media is unwilling to actually present that side of the story. They're always willing to advocate for the sex offender or the murderer or the convicted felon, but they have no compassion or empathy for the victims of these crimes or the fact that we demand election integrity and it's the cornerstone of our democracy. And we will not sit still until someone comes along and figures out what's wrong with these databases. And the supervisor of elections themselves came out with a memo in uh, uh, October of 2021 stating that Floridians can rest assured that our voter rolls are accurate and only eligible voters are on the voter rolls. Absolute disinformation. It was false, and they knew it was false. They all signed off, and they're all like uh, ostriches with their head in the spared in the stand. They're refusing to take any responsibility or take any proactive action in regard to these voter rolls with ineligible voters. And so it's incumbent upon us as programmers and database researchers to pull those files and compare them against one another and figure out who's voting twice, who's voting as a murderer, who's voting as a sex offender, who's voting that owes thousands of dollars in restitution. And you can say what you want, but voting fraud in Florida is a crime and it's a third degree felony. And we're proving that day in and day out as we've had convictions based on our tips in Alachua County, Duval County, Seminole County. We have hundreds of cases being investigated by FDLE as we speak. So they are overwhelmed by the, the, the raw numbers of cases that they have to investigate. So fortunately, the Office of Elections, Crimes, and Security uh, has reloaded. They've, uh, they're going to get $1.4 million this year. They're going to have 20-some-odd full-time investigators yeah. that can be assigned to these cases because it's that important. You know, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, it's it's a, 
It's a solution in search of a problem. The problem is there. They refuse to look at it and they go, oh, well, it's such small numbers, you know, that you found. It's like, that's not true. We found large numbers. It's just that we're having a hard time getting them into a court of law, but we are having that success rate. We have 100% conviction rate of all of our cases that are being prosecuted. So you can take the DeSantis arrest out of the equation. You're having an issue with statewide prosecutors having jurisdiction. Uh, and a lot of those cases have been dismissed and they're under appeal. But in regards to our cases, we have literally a 100% conviction rate. And I'm talking about 11 cases so far with five more pending. And we expect convictions in those cases as well. So um, our, our, our day is coming, but we, we're going to double down, work twice as hard. And we need the listeners to uh, spread the word that there is uh, irregularity. There are irregularities that are happening in our databases, and they need to be fleshed out. And if the supervisors and the Secretary of State won't do it, we have people that will, and we stand uh, by, we stand ready to do so. And we look forward to the 2024 election when we can get a jump on it this time so we won't be caught flat-footed like we were in 2020. Just to pass along a couple of chat questions here for you, uh, Mark. Uh, one of our good listeners uh, wants to know how in the world T.J. Pichy got off scot-free um, and you say that out of the earshot of the jury, the judge did say the same thing. How in the world did this guy, you know, can you go back to that point again for our listener? Well, yeah. So the question came up when he was on the witness stand in front of the jury, if he potentially um, could be charged with a crime. And he said, presumably. And the FDLE agent, her testimony was that she actually um, put forward in her sworn complaint that he should be charged, and that was with misdemeanors. Unfortunately, from what I read in the investigative summary, which is highly redacted, there's a statute of limitations on misdemeanors, and so that six-month window had closed. So that's likely why he wasn't charged, why they took so long to investigate. That's, you know, that's the question you have to ask yourself. Why, why did they drag their feet in such a manner that when it came time to make a, a decision, um, that window had closed? And I will tell you the most important thing I heard in terms of TJ and possibly being charged with a crime other than the fact that he was accompanied by an attorney and uh, invoked, invoked his Fifth Amendment rights when FDLE tried to interview him was the fact that the defense attorney in front of the judge outside of jury's earshot said that he felt like these 10 inmates getting set up and that the supervisor of elections office employee not being charged with a crime was, and I quote, egregious. So that's what resonated out of the um, the courtroom in an all-day affair. It's like, why are these guys getting charged, but the supervisor is off the hook and the supervisor's employee? And I believe that's, at the end of the day, why count one was this, was found not guilty and why count two was found guilty, because there was enough question about the supervisor's involvement and how they facilitated this, how this never would have happened without them taking that extra step of going into the jail without being able to verify exactly what they told these inmates because they talked to so many that when the inmate gave his version of the story, the defendant in this case, he was the only one that um, could remember specifically what happened according to him. And so you have to give, you have to give him that, you know, you have to say, well, if you said that he literally said that TJ told him that if he, if he was not a sex offender or a murderer, that he could vote. And so that's where the jury had to decide <clears throat> the um, 
the uh, beyond a reasonable doubt on that count. So um, is it too late to charge him? Yes. Was he running a risk? Very much so. And did that resonate with the jury? Absolutely. Was it testified to on the witness stand? Yes. Was the judge absolutely just incredulous about the fact that the supervisor would go into a jail with so many ineligible inmates and run that risk? Yes. And was the defense attorney livid about the fact that his defense, his client was getting charged with felonies when the supervisor's office was obviously just glossed over? That, that was the most uh, damaging thing to me that I listened to. And you're not going to see that in the mainstream media. You're just going to no, no, no one's no. going to go into that level of detail. So that's why I invited you on today to talk to the people directly. You will not read this, my friends, my students. Uh, you'll not hear it anywhere. Uh, they're not going to get into the detail that we're going into here. So we highly recommend you share this show uh, with your network of people and spread this word because this is where the heart and soul of the next um, election is going to be won or lost, and that is holding people accountable for the behavior in these um, contests that decide who your leaders are going to be. And I got to say also to those of you who donate to the show, you see now why your donations are so helpful. Um, We talked about the huge budget that the state has, and we just are here breathing gas fumes, basically uh, uh, getting along. So, um, and a lot of this is just a sheer energy and commitment and passion of park and the expertise and uh, we sort of share that. If I, might, if, huh? if I might, Ward, you know, we it cost us $500 to get the emails from Kim Barton's office that actually um, led to our ultimate discovery and the, the, uh, the credibility of our cases. We presented it forward, you know, both with the state attorney and with, with news media. So it's, you know, it's not cheap, but it's not free. And we certainly um, aren't in the business of making money, but we're we're happy to accept uh, donations that would help us in our public records requests, which um, are always um, on the expensive side in, in an effort to keep us away from, from the information. But those e- those emails were uh, a big part of our investigation in, in terms of solving this puzzle. And that's what it was, was a puzzle. It's like, why why did so many people vote by mail from the jail all of a sudden? And that that's we built upon that. And, and that's what, um, you know, made our case. And, and like I said, we're. We're excited that um, you know we've been we've been proven out in a court of law by by six um, you know jurors who had an open mind and and put their shoulder to the stone so to speak and I believe came out with an extremely fair um, verdict and I have no issues with it. Interestingly enough, the only other split verdict on the sex offender out of Hillsborough County it went the other way. He was found guilty of false swearing on his voter registration card, but not guilty of um, uh, knowingly and willfully voting as an unqualified elector based on the fact that he was mailed a voter. What they're calling now is a voter information card. So your voter ID card is now mm. being referred to as a voter information card. So. Mm, got you. Well, we're right at the end of the hour. And thanks so much for checking in, Mark. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll memorialize this conversation for sure. It is a um, absolute uh, benchmark of um, really all the efforts and what the show is about and what our teamwork together have been for Mark and I've been working together for over 10 years now. And some cases we've been successful with and uh, some we've been stymied by all sorts of things that would amaze you uh, in the political world. And uh, some things this one here though, is really making a difference. So thanks for checking in Mark and uh, 
Thank you for all you who support the show, who's advertising the show, donate to the show. Uh, we'll keep us uh, light burning here as long as we can. Um, talk to you soon, Mark. Thanks so much, sir. And thanks, production, for helping us make this a smooth uh, show. And we're going to sign off. Thank now. you, Ward. Okay, buddy. And we'll have a great guest tomorrow talking about Medicare insurance in the health world. Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.